2: Oh my goodness, look at this gentleman standing there waiting patiently with his three-piece suit and his bow tie. Tied it himself. Here's Dr. History.
1: Merry Christmas, Ab. Hey man, I am fantabulous. How are you? I'm great. I had a great Thanksgiving, and we actually did our Christmas Saturday night because that's when all my kids and grandkids could make it, so we've had a great weekend.
2: All right. Well, everybody wants to know what Dr. History is going to have on the program, so
1: pray tell. What have
2: you got lined up for us today?
1: Okay. Well, there's something you keep mentioning, a story that you keep referring to over the years that I told about the first few months on this program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you, know, do you remember what it is? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> about a certain mountain man. Oh, the guy that scared all the Indians when he'd
1: take his clothes off. <laughs> well, you know, people keep hearing you talk about that, so... I'm going to talk about this guy again.
2: Do you mean to tell me we've got some sickos that want to hear more about a naked mountain man scaring (laughs) Indians?
1: Well, I'm going to give a little more background than just that. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. All right. Osborne Russell. Oh, yeah. Actually. Yeah. uh, He was born in 1814 back in a little town in Maine called Bodenham. He was one of my children. and Actually, his boyhood was probably typical of... Uh, a main farm boy at that time, and uh, no doubt the environment was a wholesome one. Uh, he didn't have much schooling, but because uh, he talks about that, but he developed into a really a good young man, good morals, sound judgment, uh, and one of the important things uh, to keep in mind is he knew how to write, because he wrote this journal. It's called Journal of a Trapper. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Uh, Russell ran away at, to sea at the age of 16, but, uh, you know, that's pretty young. But a lot of the guys left home around that time, but soon gave up that career by deserting his ship at New York, and after which he spent three years in the service wh- of what was called the Northwest Fur Trapping and Trading Company, operating in, right then, it was just Wisconsin and Minnesota, you know, back in your stomping grounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, nothing else is really known of him until he joined Nathaniel Wyeth. Uh, He led an expedition to the Rocky Mountains and to the mouth of the Columbia River in 1834. Now, Wyeth actually kind of led his party right through this area along the route that was later to become the Oregon Trail. I see. So, Osborne Russell actually came right through this area uh, clear back then. Now Wyeth actually proposed building a fort on the plains of the Snake River and enter the fur, fur trade, and the fort was soon built and named after a guy named Henry Hall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the he was one of the partners of this company, okay. and uh, so this is what came became as Fort Hall, which we know over there by Pocatello. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, so that year uh, Wyeth left uh, a garrison of about twelve men, among which was Osborne Russell for the winter. Uh, So he stayed with him for a while. Then he uh, left uh, Wyeth and he joined uh, Jim Bridger's brigade uh, and their company was called the the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. Mm -hmm. So he was with Jim Bridger for a while and then he became a free trapper, which really was more lucrative, you know, if you could do your own thing and and get your your money for your own furs. Sure. So... uh, Anyway, like I say, he was there when Fort Hall was established, and that actually passed into the hands of the Hudson's Bay uh, Company in 1837. So... uh you know, let me ask you a question there as you're fumbling with your notes.
2: You <laughs> tell what, uh, what really, in the old days of these fur trappers, uh, be it uh, any one of these people, Kit Carson or anybody, what kept them being so loyal to the company when they could have, and nobody would have really known, they could have sold those furs on their own anyway? Well,
1: I think the, the problem with that was the rendezvous. Oh. You know, because, uh, you know, that's where you had to go sell the furs at the rendezvous, and that's where everybody gathered. I see. So, you know, if you're coming in with uh, a few extra furs that, uh, you know, that your company doesn't know about it, they're going to know about it. Oh, boy. So, and now, I'm going to tell this story kind of in his words, okay, because it is his journal, his his actual manuscript. Okay. So, and that's why I really like this, because it's, you know, nobody is guessing as to what he did or said. So okay, he says the next morning, May twentieth. Uh, he says a branch of the Gal- they traveled up a branch of the Gallatin River. Now this all takes place. You know where Henry's Lake is mm-hmm. and uh, Island Park. Yep. Okay, this takes place up a north of that, and they actually traveled kind of back and forth over the Continental Divide. Okay. So some of the streams and rivers, some went to the Pacific, some went to the Atlantic.
2: You're talking so- probably what up towards Montana.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. okay. Yeah, north right. of that area, okay. up in there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they were on a branch of the Gallatin River, and he says, we traveled down this branch until near night, and we camped, and the next day continued down the stream and reached the plains about 3 p.m., uh, within 25 miles of the junction of the three forks of the Missouri. Oh. So at that point, they're still on that side of the Continental Divide. Right. Then the 27th, he said, we moved with the camp to the Gallatin Fork. The next day, we crossed it with some difficulty. Uh, but without accident, except the loss of three rifles, the current Ransel Swift that several horses lost their footing and were washed down the stream, which compelled their riders to abandon both horses and guns and swim ashore.
2: No, wait a minute. They never got the
1: horses back?
2: They, they drowned?
1: Well, it doesn't say they got them back. They lost, you know, maybe they did. Maybe they did come out. Oh, okay. But uh, it doesn't say that they did. Oh. So I, I find it interesting. You said... Uh, we crossed it with some difficulty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you lose three horses and a bunch of guns. I'd say that's quite a bit. Yeah, that's a little more than a little difficult. Yeah. So, okay, May 29th, we traveled up this stream to the mountain about 15 miles and camped. Now, it's interesting here. He says this valley is the largest in the Rocky Mountains except the valley of the Snake River. So he says, but it's far smoother than the latter and more fertile. So I'm thinking he's uh, over in that whole area around Island Park area.
2: I see. Okay.
1: So, And then a couple of days later, May 30th, traveled up to Gallatin Fork about 10 miles into the mountains. Uh, again, this is north of Henry's Lake. June 1st, we crossed the mountains in the same direction and camped in the valley on the Madison Fork. Mm-hmm. So now they're on the Madison. Uh, it says, we traveled on a trail made by a village of Blackfeet, which had passed, uh, which they had passed three or four days previous. And it said they they were to all appearances occasionally dying of the smallpox which has made terrible havoc among the Blackfeet during this last winter. I
2: have a question, though. I have a okay. question. And pardon my interruption, but inquiring minds want to know, um, if this is for many of these people the first time to go into these respective areas, how did they know which river was which?
1: Well, this was in, like I said, this was like 1834 through 1843. And so it had been, uh, uh, you know, charted somewhat. Oh, and the but, National
2: yeah. Park Service had time to put up signs,
1: huh? <laughs> they had signs. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so Yellowstone, uh, and there have been other guys in there, uh, you know, into the Yellowstone area and uh, through this whole area. Okay. So, All right. But anyway, he said they. Uh, he said today we passed an Indian lodge standing in the prairie near the river, which contained nine nine dead bodies
0: that
1: died from smallpox oh boy so anyway on the third he said we continued up the stream uh, trying to avoid a village of Blackfeet uh, which he said probably contained about three or four times our numbers so they they tried to avoid them smart yeah but he says the next morning we were passing over a ridge around this place and we discovered their village again or another village and he said so we prepared for battle now about 15 men mounted horses and started for the village in order to commence a skirmish. Oh, boy. Which, again, doesn't sound real good to me if you're, you know, outnumbered four to one or, yeah, now, or four or five to one.
2: You're talking about these old rifles that could only shoot single shots. Yeah. So, 15 guys, that's 15 bullets, right? Yeah. They're dumb. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So, he <laughs> says, while our men were approaching the village, he yeah. said, I took a telescope and climbed to the highest point of a rock, which overhung uh, the camp to view what was going to take place. Yeah. <laughs> so the so Russell may have been a little smarter, uh, but he said they rode within a short distance, then they dismounted and crept to the edge, and then they opened fire on the village, which was the first the Indians knew of our being in the country. Why did they do that? I, you know, again, I, I don't understand that. The, they, they started the whole thing.
2: Well, the dummies, they could have had maybe a white flag and maybe sat down and been friendly with each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. What a great greeting to go in and start shooting up the place. Before the Indians had time to mount their horses and climb the bluff 150 yards above them. Oh, my goodness. So the whites mounted their horses and retreated (laughs) towards camp uh, before about five times their numbers uh, in a running fire was kept up on both sides until... Says until our man, men reached the camp, and then he says the Indians took possession of an elevated point uh, about three hundred paces. Did it occur to much. you?
2: Did it occur to you when you read this story that perhaps the white mountain men weren't the brightest bulbs in the fixture?
1: <laughs> well, what did we get to the the one guy? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you know, he said uh, from that distance, he said from which they kept shooting at intervals interval for about two hours and this is interesting without doing any damage when one of them one of the Indians called to us in the flathead tongue and said that we were not men but women and had better dress ourselves as such for we had bantered them to fight and then crept into the rocks like women hmm okay so we got an Indian out there you know kind of bad-mouthing or trash-talking the mountain men so well how how would you feel for pete's sakes
2: how would you feel all of a sudden you're in your wiki up and you're having a piece of deer steak and somebody starts shooting at you for crying out loud yeah
1: and and so you're going to take off after him so here's this old iroquois trapper and he'd been experienced an experienced warrior uh trained on the shores of lake superior and he understood the language that uh, this guy was saying, so mm-hmm. he turned to the other trappers around him, and he made a speech. And he, not in real good English, but he said, he, here's what he said, My friend, you see that injun talk? He not talk good. He talk very bad. He say you, me, all same, like squaw. That no good. Suppose you go with me. I make him no talk that way.
2: <laughs> well, kind of sounds like one of those Obama speeches about Obamacare. <laughs>
1: so anyway he's basically saying come on you guys let's let's go so and here we go i'm saying this he stripped himself entirely naked throwing his powder horn and bullet pouch over his right shoulder and taking his rifle in his hand he began to dance and yell and scream and 20 of them stood up and and cheered and anyway he started and he said we all followed uh amid a shower of, of sh- uh, shells and shooting and. He said the distance it was about 300 yards up a smooth and kind of gradual hill to the rocks where the black feet were kind of hidden. But he said the object of our leader was to make an open charge and drive them from from their position, which we did, without loss uh, uh, of anybody.
2: So, but, So this one guy takes his clothes off and walks out into a grassy meadow and is going to scare the Indians because he hasn't got any clothes on.
1: <laughs> well, he's yelling and screaming too, oh yeah, well, that helped, yeah, that helped <laughs> yeah so, yeah uh, maybe it was cold, I don't know <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> so anyway he said when we when we reached the rocks, we stopped to take a breath and he said for about a half a minute, and actually not having discar- discharged a single gun, they hadn't even shot at the Indians yet, so he said we we then mounted over the piles of granite and, and attacked them muzzle to muzzle, and although he says seven or eight times our number. They retreated from rock to rock, and we followed close at their heels, loading and shooting, until and we drove them entirely uh, away, where their horses were tied, and they carried off some of their injured and dead, and they then placed them on the, uh, the wounded on horses and started back towards the village it's pretty
2: hard to mount an attack against a, a guy that's not the brightest star in the sky standing there naked freezing to death, waving a gun and yelling at you
1: <laughs> yeah so but you know he said then we, we then packed our animals and followed them you know now at this point, I would still think you'd say okay we've won let's yeah. let's call it good
2: let's go the other way, yeah,
1: but no, they packed our animals and they followed them uh, and they got within a quarter mile of the village and stopped for the night and camped for the night. A quarter mile away quarter from mile. the village? Yeah. And during, But during the night, the Indians moved about three miles further up the, up the stream. So, so there's hundreds
2: of Indians, and there's only 15 of these guys. This isn't making <laughs> a lot of sense, Dr. History. I know,
1: I know. But it's, it's a true story. Uh-huh. So, anyway, so the next morning, he said we kind of climbed this little hill intending to pass the village Uh, but he said we found that the Indians had formed a line of mounted warriors so about 30 of us concluded to try the bravery of these Indians so he said we rode into a thicket undercover out of sight into a deep ravine and so they were close enough they could actually hear the Indians talking and uh, hear them kind of prancing back and forth and So he says that we tightened the cinches on our saddles, uh, examining our guns. We put each of us four or five bullets in our mouths, and I guess they used to do that. Yeah. You know, so they could get to them easily. You just just didn't want to burp. (laughs) Or swallow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we put, you know, four or five bullets in our mouths and mounted without noise our leader, which was the same old Iroquois guy that had led the charge the day before. Yeah. And with a super yell, uh, we followed the Indians, uh, who were so much surprised with such like, a sudden attack that they made no resistance, whatever, but turned and took off towards their village as fast as their horses could carry them.
2: Okay, but why didn't they leave them alone in the first place? They got the net result again the next day. Same thing, I, the Indians yeah, left.
1: I, yeah, and well, he says, we pursued uh, at their heels until we were in about 300 yards of their lodge, lodges, and then we stopped. And then we rode quietly away back to our own camp.
2: Well, how nice! <laughs> so,
1: I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a funny but interesting story uh, about you know their, their mindset. I guess was you know ten of us can can take on a hundred Indians or twenty of us. Mindset, can take on
2: Indians. mindset. They were out of
1: their minds. What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah, but th- this is. Uh, you know, I've got a map here of where all this took place, and like they say, there's Henry's Lake, there's Madison, Madison Fork, the Gallatin, and it's all north of Henry's Lakes, which would be... Uh kind of uh, west of the Yellowstone River area, right in through
2: there. You know, I read a book someplace where these mountain men in the days of old with the old flintlock rifles, um, they could, uh, like you said, they, they put about three or four balls, uh, lead balls in their mouth, they could spit those down that muzzle and load a charge. I think I read that they could load, reload in less than 30 seconds.
1: You know, I have heard that, that some of those guys really were good. They they could do it really rapidly.
2: But you you really feel sorry for the guy that had a cold.
1: Yeah, Parasinus a sinus problem. Yeah. You know, was
2: Swallowing or coughing, yeah. Holy smokes. But there's a story right there that is an equalizer. And when I say equalizer, it shows you that the Indians weren't always the perpetrators of the bad goings-on in the Old West. Now,
1: these white guys, they started the fight. They did. And then keep in mind, too, I mentioned about the smallpox. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know where that came from. It came from the white guys.
0: Yep. You know,
1: it didn't come from the Indians. But this Osborne Russell, uh, if anybody's interested, this is an interesting book. It's it's called Journal of a Trapper, and uh, his uh, life, uh, a lot of it happened right in this area. You know, uh, he came clear down in here to Raft River, uh, the Snake River, all through this area, and Fort Hall, uh, uh, over to Jackson Hole, uh, just... Interesting for somebody that lives around here, I think they'd enjoy this book. Absolutely. Osborne Russell actually ended up over in Oregon, and uh, that's where he eventually died. He uh, actually died—probably uh, died from exposure. <laughs> he actually became a judge. <laughs> oh, yeah. he You're a kidding judge me! And was active in politics.
2: Oh.
1: But uh, like I say, he got over to the Oregon country area there, and. And that's where he spent quite a bit of his time and ended up dying over there.
2: Holy smokes. Well, there you go, folks. We just had a uh, a repeat performance of Osborne Russell. Russell, And thank you, Dr. History.
1: You bet. Uh, I I just thought, you know, you refer to it occasionally.
0: And what is
2: he
1: talking about? Uh huh. Yeah? Yeah. Now we uh, we uh,
2: now will have to do it again. <laughs> in, in another six years. Yeah, right. Oh, God bless you, Dr. Ken Turner, one of my dearest friends with Dr. History every Tuesday. And thank you very much. And may I also say, starting every time you're on the program, Merry Christmas. And
1: Merry Christmas to you, Zed. Thank you, you my
2: dear day. friend. God bless. We'll I, I love that segment with Dr. History. He's really, really good.